G'day everybody. I hope you're happy and healthy wherever you are. Welcome back to the Inner Voice Podcast. I'm Travis McKenzie and I'm stoked to bring you today's episode of the I'm Curious to Know Project. I'm pleased to have Dylan Wykes on the show, or as you'll hear, he's okay with just Dylan. He's one of Canadian's greatest marathon runners, an Olympian, and the co-founder of Mile to Marathon, a training group for runners of all levels based in Vancouver and Ottawa. After missing selection for the 2016 Olympics, Dylan's running took a backseat to his growing family and the growth of his business. In this conversation, he offers some amazing insight into how he's personally and professionally dealing with race cancellations and postponements, and how he's using this to assess what role running plays in his life. He brings awesome advice and perspective, and it's always a joy to catch up. Thanks for being here. Enjoy the show. Dylan, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Excited about this, Travis. Now, I, I don't know if I butchered your last name. I feel like I could get it wrong yeah. every time. There's probably different iterations. Why don't you tell us all for uh, prosperity and to to answer the question for all, how do you say your last name? It's Wikes. But you know what? At this stage of the game, I don't correct anyone. I'm ha- I'm happy with whatever. It gets it gets butchered a lot, so it, I'd spend yeah. a lot of time correcting people. You could just call me Dylan. That's what it says on the screen. So yeah, yeah. Well, you're on. It's like Prince, right? You just you just need one name. <laughs> now I don't know if uh, anyone's watching after yesterday's show. We had Britain Barbie on the show yesterday. We had a really thoughtful discussion around race relations. We had a thoughtful discussion around um, Ahmed Arbery and and that mm. case. Today's going to be a little lighter. Today's going to be uh, a, a little bit more banter, a little bit more fun, but uh, I appreciate everyone for tuning in yesterday. Dylan, I know that you're sitting there in the, I thought you were in the closet first, but you're in the gym. Uh, you're up in Ottawa. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of how you have, you and the family, you've got two two young kids, how you've been handling the last little while while uh, under lockdown up there in Ottawa. It's been interesting. I mean, we've got a, a three and a five-year-old who, you know, typically would be in kindergarten uh, and daycare, but they're at home with us. And my wife uh, works full time. Uh, she's a professor at a university here, so we're we're both still trying to work. The kiddos are are around. You know, we're supposed to kind of be engaging in some uh, learning for certainly for the one in kindergarten. You know, I think like everyone, we're we're making it work. Some days are better than others. Um, the weather has been getting better, so it's the girls love being outside. So when we can get them outside, that is uh, makes for for a good day. Now you mentioned work. Uh, work for you now, obviously, you know you're still running, you're still competing, but it's it really has taken a backseat over the last few years. As you've launched uh, Mile to Marathon, rough numbers, finger in the wind. I would have it a guess that you guys probably are one of the bigger groups in Canada, if not North America, as far as volume of athletes. Um, I, I love the story of how you guys got started. Why don't you share that with me of, of how Mile to Marathon came to be and kind of some of the growth that you've seen over the last few years? It's been a lot of fun. It's certainly been the focus uh, for me for for a number of years now. Um, originally started with Mike Woods, who uh, some of your audience might know as he's a professional cyclist now, but uh, once upon a time was, was a long distance, well, middle distance runner. Uh, and Mike and I knew each other just from, from that world. It's kind of small, small world uh, in Canada. And we were both in Ottawa and he was, he was uh, an injured runner at the time, I think trying to take up cycling. Uh, and he had, he had a small group of, of athletes that he was coaching and he asked me to come out and, 
uh, he, he didn't really say like you'd be a good coach or, or not. He just like, hey, just come check out what we're doing. He had a fun little group. From there, we just decided that we wanted to kind of help runners and try and build a little bit of a business uh, around it. I think uh, his wife Ellie was my was my first ever athlete. So it was it was funny. He's like, I've got your first athlete. It's like I I, I can't do we can't do this anymore. Ellie hates me as a coach, and and it's yeah. hard to you know it's hard to coach your partner, right? So I started coaching Ellie, and we just kind of took things more on online for a while as my running career was still going strong, and Mike's cycling career started to take off. So we had. Uh, less time to be doing the in-person stuff, but then, you know, fast forward to three or four years to, to 2016 and uh, I failed to make the Olympic team for Rio and, and my running kind of was starting to wind down. It just seemed like a good time to get more into to Mountain Marathon and decided to to really do more in-person group stuff uh, in Vancouver and Rob Watson, another successful marathoner from Canada, was in Vancouver in a kind of similar position to me, failed to make the the, the Olympic team. And, and we started uh, doing more kind of group runs while still doing the kind of remote personal coaching thing. And it's just kind of taken off from there. Yeah, the growth's been amazing. I, I love the picture. I think you guys shared it last week of the showing up with the, the popsicles, the freezies, mm-hmm. um, hoping that someone would come out and join this group workout in Vancouver. What a like auspicious beginning to the, to the group. I think we had ordered some shirts, like some screen printed shirts and, and they weren't coming in time for this like first run. So I just like cut out the, 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 the decal and, and spray painted two shirts. We wore these <laughs> spray painted shirts and uh, our selling point was that we had freezies and we just... <laughs> kind of hope people would show up you've set a precedent now every freezes every workout right <laughs> yeah it's well <laughs> it's funny because uh you could maybe pull that off in vancouver i mean i don't think most people want freezes in in december in vancouver but now that i'm here in ottawa it's like you know the freezy thing kind of went out the window in, in october yeah. Now, tell me about the beginnings of that that business. Firstly, was it mile, mile to marathon right from the start? Was that the name? And then how did you guys decide how to split the business, how to grow the business? You know, some of those roller coaster moments throughout that journey that, that stand out for you in those beginning days. It's definitely been a big learning experience for me. I don't have a background in business. I studied math in school and epidemiology for a master's. So I don't have a lot of experience there, but Mike was more of a, of a, had a more of an entrepreneurial sense and wanted to kind of make a business where I was just like, I just want to coach people. But the name came about when we first got, when Mike and I first got going, he was the miler. Uh, that was his specialty. And, uh, and I was a marathoner. So we kind of put those two together. And uh, at the time, I think like, M to M, if you flip, if you inversed it, uh, it, it made W to, to, to W, which wakes to Woods or was to Wakes, however, however you may be. We never went with that as like uh, as anything that that kind of took off, but that was kind of the idea behind it. We really had no business plan, to be honest. We, we were just kind of going with it uh, as we could. And, and initially we just kind of split, split duties, uh, Mike and I, and then as his cycling career took off, he kind of really took really took a backseat, and I really dug in on things and said, I, I, you know, I want to take this to the next level." And Mike just kind of gave me free reign to do that, and it's you know, it's been a it's been a good a good relationship since, and we're now in a position actually where his wife Ellie is uh, is more and more involved on the business side of things, which has been which has been fun to have them kind of back in that circle. 
I've talked with a couple of people on the show this month about culture and building a business and, and creating a culture. And from my experience with the group in Vancouver, um, you know, there is a great culture. There's people of all different levels. Um, the workouts, when you can get together, are catered for all different levels. Um, there's a sense of camaraderie that I haven't seen in many groups. Tell me about the culture that you and Rob and Mike and Ali and, and the, the rest of the coaches have instilled in the groups. We knew that the environment didn't have to be super serious. And especially when we're most of our audience and most of our athletes we work with are, are recreational runners. Some of it are serious, uh, serious runners at the, at the elite level. But we knew that if we, we had great coaching and set up the workouts, you know, with a lot of forethought and a lot of planning, that if we took care of all that stuff, that we could also just make sure that it was a really fun place to come to, to work out. We wanted to, you know, make sure that everyone felt like they were welcome, which was hard at first. When, when Especially when we were first kind of building the group stuff in Vancouver, it was like people saw Rob and myself and like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go out to a workout with those guys. They're like super fast. And we had, we really had to drive home that no, this isn't, this isn't about us. This is about, this is about you guys, all of, you know, all of you. And no matter what your goals are, we want to help you. And some of my first athletes that I worked with, uh, roughly four hour to three hour, 50 minute marathoners and, uh, ladies in, in their thirties. And they wanted to work towards a BQ, which, which was about three, 3335 at the time and they were a bit intimidated to do that you know to for me to be standing with the stopwatch at first but I just made sure that it wasn't about me it was it was about them and that kind of just rubbed off they saw that it could be it could be fun and people start improving and they enjoy that so I have fond memories of the of the group um you know Lauren my wife we actually talked about it on the on the show that her and I recorded that you know when she was first coming back from having Addy you know, she brought Addy to the track and you were like, this isn't a babysitting surface, just so you know, but, you know, you can leave her in the corner. And then she ha- she actually took her first steps at the at one of the workouts. I was there with her and she took yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was just this whole big celebration. So there's definitely fun memories from the from the workouts there in Vancouver. Yeah, that's cool. I remember that too. And it's, uh, yeah, but it's kind of that environment that we wanted to create that, you know, every everyone could, could come out and it's, you know, we'd, trained at the high performance level we knew we knew what that took and we know that it's not what everyone everyone needs and so tell me about that high performance for you so what was your training environment when were you were at the top were you someone who did like to train alone did you have a group of people that you were with you know what i trained alone um for a lot of a lot of my career we i moved to vancouver in 2000 10 and uh to work with a coach there richard lee who's who's still quote unquote my my coach today our relationship has changed uh over the years but we we had a small group at times but i i spent a lot of time um training alone which in some respects i liked i like kind of just i don't i don't know i'm I'm kind of a solitude person but consider myself an introvert and and don't mind spending time by myself. It's something that after a while be, became harder and harder to, to train alone in, in that environment. But my coach was uh, a guy who really uh, paid attention to, to all the details. So he was always, um, you know, when I was training in Vancouver, was always there on the bike, always mapping out the routes, always taking care of the little details so that I could kind of focus on what I needed to do, you know, little things from, 
making sure the route was specific to the race that I had coming up. You know, was it a flat route? Was it a hilly route? All those things that sometimes get neglected when, because the training itself is, is hard enough. It's like, okay, I've got this 40 kilometer run to do. Sometimes you just want to get out the door and do it. But if you yeah. plan it properly um, and to, so that you can execute it as best as possible, that was kind of the setup. But it was really a lot of the time, really just my coach and I, has that philosophy of like, taking care of the small details transferred and translated over to the way that you coach now and the way that you organize your coaches and the way that they program their athletes? Yeah, I've really tried to, that was one of the first big things that I, I tried to instill because I was, you know, you know, obviously your coaches uh, from from past are a big influence on you, on you and, um, you know, how you end up coaching. But I knew I couldn't take just take the workouts that I was doing and, and transfer them to, um, you know, more recreational level athletes. I knew that if uh, I was that taking care of the the details, making sure that we were running on routes that made sense for the group where I could see them often. So I'd often try and find little loops where they would be going by a lot. We'd go to the track because that's a, a, a good place for speed workout and stuff. So yeah, that was a big thing that I knew could really benefit people at all levels a lot was just like, okay, you just need to show up and put in the work. I'll make sure everything else is, is taken care of. And, and I think that transfers over into even the coaching of uh, athletes who don't come to the groups who are remote because we coach athletes all over, you know, making sure that the coaches are giving specific instructions and, and details for athletes to really execute the workouts well is, is really an important thing. You've grown the coaching group you know, the coaches that actually work for mile to marathon quite significantly as well. How do you maintain that quality control? Is that something that kind of keeps you up at night of like making sure that the workouts and the work and the communication is up to the level and the standard that you would hope? That's a tough, uh, tough task. I found that tougher and tougher. Um, you know, when we were building in Vancouver, it was something where new coaches, I, I would say, you know, come out to the group watch how we do things and just kind of learn in the environment. But as we've grown more and more, we've got coaches who aren't necessarily in Vancouver, Ottawa, where we have groups. So it's, it's been more about kind of having to, uh, I wouldn't say hold their hands because I feel like I've, we've done a job of, of recruiting coaches that I'm confident in before they even come on board, that they know the fundamentals of coaching. So I'm not going to nitpick every little you know, every little detail of the workout and I say, oh, you should give them 60 seconds rest instead of, you know, two minutes rest. That's not where I'm overseeing things. It's more kind of a broader, uh, just kind of the values uh, that we want to instill in our athletes and, you know, what, what the, what the coaches are, are relaying to their athletes in that sense. That is the important things for me when I'm, when we're working with uh, other coaches. That makes sense. It, it kind of comes back to that culture that you wanted to create for the athletes, um, you know, creating that culture for the coaches as well of accountability and giving them the necessary steps to be successful. A lot of that just came naturally in the in the group environment in Vancouver. And then, as I said, kind of as things have grown and um, I've moved to Ottawa and stuff like that, it's, it's I've had to actually think more about it. It's like, what, okay, what what are these things that are important mm. to, to the fabric of Mile to Marathon? So it's, it's interesting. It's kind of... A lot of the early going was just like going on instinct and, you know, these are the things that, that worked for me as an athlete or that I think will work for, for people. And over the years, I've had to take more time to be like, 
actually write it down. What are, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it's been interesting. It's not, not, uh, not necessarily the easiest part of the job. Writing the schedules is the, is the easy and fun yeah. part. I'm probably similar to you as the way that I approach that. A lot of the thoughts are in my head, you know, around how the culture of the business or the things that I want to do or the things that I want to grow into. And it's not until you can get them out of your head and get them onto paper that you can translate them to, um, to other people but it also gives you a different perspective on it as well. You learn more about you know, yourself and what you want out of your business as, as you do, do those kind of practices. Tell me about that move to Ottawa. I know that your, your wife, Francine, uh, has a, you know, she, she kind of got a, a dream job and a dream opportunity, which meant moving the family to Ottawa and moving away from the, the home base in Vancouver. Tell me about that experience of kind of picking up and, and implanting or re, you know, reseeding yourself into, into Ottawa. Yeah, it was uh, it was something where my wife was Francine was in her second postdoc at uh, at UBC, and we'd been in Vancouver for six or eight years at that point, and we we liked it, but it was it was getting harder and harder with the kids too. You know, you have young kids, and uh, we are our families are in Ontario, um, but really it was it was her just kind of wanting to to find a job that was a, a really good fit for her, and Ottawa happened to to be it and it was actually where she had done her her phd so she was familiar with ottawa and myself i I grew up in kingston about two hours from here which in ontario terms isn't very far away i would come here to compete in soccer and hockey and stuff like that it it was a move we were were sad to leave vancouver but uh we were kind of excited for something new it's definitely a, a different feel in terms of a city, but we, we settled in pretty quickly. You know, the, uh, our oldest Sasha went straight into school and, uh, daycare was, was a pretty good transition for Spencer, our youngest. So it was, yeah. it, it was a good, uh, it was a good thing, but you know, from a mile to marathon side of things, it was, I wasn't sure what was, was going to happen. Well, it also kind of gave you another outpost, right? It gave you the opportunity to set up kind of bi-coastal operations. And I also know that it had some positive effects on your personal running. I know that it kind of gave you a bit of a fresh start and you, you know, you, you, you fell back in love with running. I think I read somewhere, tell me about what that was like, you know, you, you kind of in this new community and you're out and exploring and you know, you fall back in love with running. Tell me, tell me about that. You know, the last few years in Vancouver, I was so caught up in, in building miles marathon and, and the family was a focus as well. So between those two things, my running was just kind of taking a back seat, and I was kind of burnt out as well after, after 2016, not making the Olympic team. I just kind of lost my, uh, lost my drive and lost love for the sport. But yeah, once we moved here, I just kind of felt that for one, I had a bit more time and just kind of fit into life a bit better. Yeah, kind of getting out for runs in new places. Like my my routine started with the one mile pushing the stroller to get Spencer to uh, to daycare. So I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I might as well like keep running. And that just kind of got me into a really good routine. And and I set some set some, you know, kind of lower goals not not so much focused on high performance just getting out there and and running and it yeah i just kind of found that passion again it was just kind of slowly adding in started adding in some workouts and stuff like that and it just felt good and it felt right and it just fit in with life uh, i think was was kind of the most important thing it just kind of fit back in with life at that at that time and i just kind of 
just went with it. You went with it to the point where you, uh, you know, you were you're about to toe the line at the Boston Marathon. I was excited when the, you know, the the announcement came out of the the men's elite field and 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 Dylan's name's on the list. It was pretty exciting. So tell me about that kind of experience of going through the motions to get to that point where you're ready to toe the line at the at the big one. Yeah, it was really the sort of thing where I just was taking my running kind of I wouldn't say week by week, but maybe a couple months at a time and I just set a new race goal and worked towards it and training was clicking. I was having some success again. And I think the thing that was really important for me was that I wasn't comparing myself as much to, you know, to the athlete I used to be because you know my best years were kind of 2011, 2012, which is a long time ago. And I spent, you know, I spent a number of years comparing myself to the athlete I was then and kind of getting frustrated with not being able to you know, live up to the, to the times I would run in workouts or the time, you know, tons of races or even just the types of training I could do. And that just didn't matter anymore. I was just kind of felt free to just race and not worry about what I'd done previously. And uh, yeah, it just kind of spiraled some good, some good results. And then I thought, you know, why not? Uh, but I actually have never finished the Boston Marathon. It started one year and uh, it's just something I've always wanted to do. And at the same time, you know, my, my level of performance has gotten to, to the point where I thought, you know, maybe another Olympics is possible and getting a top 10 in a, in a world major was uh something that could could get you you know not 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 a lock but into the conversation for that in Canada and uh so so those two things just kind of made made Boston something that's like let's try and let's try and do this in uh in 2020 and kind of made that plan in the in the summer of 2019 and Tell me about your feelings then. You obviously had set this goal and you've been working towards it and the form was coming back. You know, what was your reaction and feeling when it was announced that it would be postponed? I was super disappointed as a, you know, as an individual athlete aspiring to to try and put up a, a big performance in the race. Uh, I was pretty disappointed, but obviously in the grander scheme of things, I knew it was, I knew it was the right call for, for them to make. At the time it was, you know, even a week or so before I didn't, you know, there's like, there's no way this race isn't going to happen. And then day by, you know, one day to the next, it was like, okay, this is, this is looking less and less likely for me. It was hard to, to manage that disappointment at first. I think I kept, I kept training for about a week and was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll find a, another race to do. And then it, the reality of, of things kind of hit, you know, motivation took a dip and stuff like that, which I think is, is normal for everyone in that situation. But yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, a big disappointment. I want to talk to you about that dip in motivation because, you know, you as an individual felt that you're also, you know, working or in charge of hundreds of athletes effectively um, who are in the same position. Their major races, their goals are getting cancelled or postponed. Like what are some of those conversations that you that you had to have or had to have with the coaches to pass along? And did that help you kind of reconcile in your own mind? Yeah, for sure. It, uh, you know, as I was working through this with other coaches and with other athletes, it was like taking it all in myself and like, okay, you got to you know practice what you preach and um, listen, listen to your own words. It was hard. I was surprised that the number of people that really dealt with it really well. And they, you know, they kind of took a, 
a day or two to, and this is kind of the, the messaging that we had is, you know, don't deny yourself the, the disappointment in not being able to race, but, you know, give yourself that time to mourn that experience uh, sort of thing. But then uh, try and pick up the pieces and, and move on. You know, it's been harder as we've gotten farther and farther away when more and more races are canceled. I think initially our messaging was, well, let's look at a race a little later down the line. Let's set something else on the calendar. And that's gotten harder and harder to do as the calendars, uh, race calendar has basically been wiped out to the, you know, to the point now where it's more about finding finding that reason why you run and exploring that a lot more, which has been really interesting. And, you know, from a coaching perspective has, has forced me to, you know, kind of get to know some of my athletes a lot better than, than I would have otherwise. So, you know, cause previously, you know, uh, you know, an athlete I'm working with them and I'm focused on their goals. So I'm like, okay, this is John's goal. I'm going to help him towards this. And, and that's what I know about him, that he's motivated to, to qualify for Boston or to do whatever. And then once you don't have that on the table anymore, you have to kind of dig in with these people and say, oh, why, why is it that you run? What, what, what is it that you love about it? Those have been, in a lot of ways, really interesting. Now, I know that you guys, group workouts are a big part of your business and a big part of the culture. So now they're not able to happen. Um, I know that you know, people aren't really necessarily signing up for the coaching services now that there's no races in the future but you've done a really good job of pivoting and providing different options for people, virtual coaching, virtual races. Tell me about some of the initiatives that you've implemented within the business that have helped keep things going, but also offered some of these innovative ways to, to keep your, your athletes entertained and engaged as well. For a while, we were chasing our tail around trying to figure out what to do. And, and then after, you know, a little bit, you realize that, okay, we've, uh, we've got to provide our, our, our athletes with, with some more um, things that to, to, to make this a good experience uh, for them. So Zoom has been, uh, has been our friend. We've done a lot of virtual stuff where whether it's just coaches eating with their athletes in a, in a group setting, which, is, which has been a way for you know, people who would usually come out to the groups to still connect with other people that would come out to those groups and get to know them that way. We've also started a, a speaker series where we, we, you know, we have Q&As with, with elites or influential people or um, people, people that are in the running. You know, Alex Hutchinson was on last week uh, or earlier this week, the author of Endure. That was a really, really like captivating conversation and just trying to find, uh, you know, things that can help our athletes learn and, and improve. A guy like Alex is, is great with that. Um, and we also, uh, you know, the virtual racing thing is something that we were kind of hesitant to dip our toe into. It's like, okay, do our athletes really need this? But we, we, we found that it's, it, it is something they need. So we've got a little virtual race race series going, you know, super no frills. People just, you don't have to sign up. People just submit the results, but it's something that gives the athletes, you know, who want to have those goals and not everyone does right now, but if they do, if they want to have that focus and structure, we find that has been, been helping them with that. So little things like that have been kind of important to, to, to flip things to, to the virtual side of things. And it's hard. It's, it's something that hopefully people are, are finding valuable. Now you talked about um, you know getting started with with Mike Woods and um, you know he had a horrific injury recently. Have you been able to kind of stay in touch with him and um, you know what was the conversation you had with him when you found out about the injury and how close are you guys now and, and how often do you stay in touch? 
Yeah, we're still in touch uh, quite a bit. I mean, I, f- from a work perspective, I talk to uh, his wife Ellie uh, at least at least once or twice a week, and usually I I, I t- chat to Mike at least one of those occasions. So yeah, I mean, he was pretty pretty down and out after that, and I think initially he's like, you know, I'm done with this sport. I'll be out of it as soon as I can. Where you know, where's my seat in the coaching roster, yeah, sort of yeah. thing. But you know, I think there's. He's been he's been dealing with he's back on the bike uh, outdoors um, already so he is such a a motivated guy and I have no doubt that he'll he's I think he's fine in the fire again already but you, you see those highs and lows of uh, and I definitely saw that uh, got a little glimpse into it with you know Mike who's at the pinnacle of of that sport right now so it's uh, yeah. it, it was really interesting now tell me about some of the conversations that you have directly had with some of those athletes. I know that, you know, we've, we've given broad strokes and we've given high level, but what about, you know, the people that are at a high level, they've got, you know, maybe they're running out of time to qualify for an Olympics or they're, you know, another year on for Boston is not going to be an option for them. Life circumstances. Yeah. There's definitely been, been times where people's goals are time sensitive. You have to just dig into, you know, to the disappointment of, of not being able to fulfill those. And, um, you know, uh, I often reach into my experience as an athlete and, uh, I, you know, I had some highs, but I had a lot of, a lot of lows and, and the things you can take out of those to make a better person. And sometimes that doesn't translate into being, you know, a better runner. It's like you can translate them to other, other parts of, uh, of life. But yeah, I've had a few, you know, a few athletes who, this was going to be their last kick at something because they uh, want to have kids. And so they're like, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this now. It's like, we need to start making babies and, you know, running becomes such an important part of people's lives uh, at different times in their lives. And it's, it can be so valuable, but uh, there, there are times where you just have to be able to let, let go of those goals. And that's, that's really hard to, uh, to have those conversations, but I think you can just reflect on, on all the positives that running has, you know, provided in, in some of these athletes' lives that it's, it's been uh, a really good thing. And, and it's, you know, you have to be okay with just kind of letting go sometimes. It kind of brings me to a thought of, and a conversation I had with um, Craig Alexander, who's an Ironman world champion. And we talked about athletes that he works with and athletes within the insurance sports world and triathlon and runners and cyclists who um, a lot of their identity is based on themselves as an athlete. So losing that, losing a piece of that because you're not able to race is, is challenging. But there's also, you know, particularly in triathlon where it's a lot of privateers and people who are relying on sponsor, um, on prize money to actually pay their way through the sport. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. I think there's going to be this kind of long tail of, uh, of, of issues that we, you know, we can't anticipate now that, that could be a problem for, for quite a while. Yeah. That's going to be really interesting to see what, what happens there because yeah, a lot of people, this is their livelihood and sponsors aren't, are, you know, are going to start backing out of uh, individual athlete sponsorships and out of race sponsorships, the prize money that athletes are depending on isn't there because they can't race. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be tough to, to come out of. And I don't, you know, I think it's going to be a while yet before we, before we see things return to normal. So it's, uh, yeah, I feel for, for people who, you know, and that, uh, 
that elite athlete mindset and the high performance side of things where you're solely focused on that is it's a, a tough, tough environment to be in right now. Yeah. I wonder how much is going to change in the future. Like what is this going to have for the, the long-term future of being an elite athlete where prize money and sponsorship are, are something that you rely on? So many aspects of sport. It's like a, we're going to see if these were sustainable models to, to have these things built on. You, you kind of alluded to some of the, the tough times you've been through as an athlete that, that you were able to then translate into the rest of your life. Like what are some of those things that you know, you went through the disappointments that you have been able to translate that have helped you be a better husband, a better father, a better businessman. Certainly with being a father and, and a husband, a lot of it is just like learning the patience, appreciating, appreciating the, you know, the, the smaller moments, uh, in, in life that, that happen. I think I spend a lot of time in my career focused on, you know, having this huge goal and forgetting about the little things along the way that were that were great parts of of trying to make it to to the highest level those are the kind of things that stick with me is just to kind of in, enjoy enjoy the moment stay in the moment you know because as an athlete you're always kind of striving for something else something something more or at least i was um so just to appreciate you know the the, the little things and in terms of the marathon and business and stuff is just like picking yourself up when you're when you're down and I, there's so many times that have made decisions that haven't haven't felt confident in and just have to have to realize that you have to you know take it take a big step sometimes and and, and go forward and and be willing to fail mate this has been amazing i i really appreciate Every time we get to have a chat, I love our conversations. I love I love the banter. I love that we get to have a little happy hour here. I do want to end the show. I, I like to end the show with three questions um, that I've that I've asked every day. So I'm going to go to those. Starting with the first one here. What's one thing that's changed for you during this isolation period that you want to keep once we go back to whatever our new normal is? I would say probably my running has changed in terms of what, like its its purpose. Uh, and I'm, I'm just getting out there for the sake of it, for the joy of it, because I love it. And I think uh, uh, I need to remember, remember that um, once, once we get back to normal, once the races are back on the calendar and stuff, it's still going to be important to, 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 have, to hold on to that. Second question. What's one thing that you thought was important before isolation that you're happy to leave in the past? That's tough. I mean, I, you know what, I don't need a lot of, uh, stuff. It's like, there's, you know, there's, there's no stores open and I, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't, I just got, I need, just need my beer, my family and my running shoes. And I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it's been a common one, actually. That's been a lot of, uh, you know, maybe even half of the answers over the 15 days have been the things that we acquire and that we uh, accumulate over time and spending money on stuff we don't need. So it's yeah. uh, a good one. Um, final question. What's been your most memorable moment during this isolation? Oh, pro you know what? Our oldest, uh, Sasha learned to ride her bike and, uh, it, that she's, she's five and a half. So I, I don't, I don't know what kid, some guys see some kids that learn to ride their bike when they're like two and some, maybe it's later, but it had been a thing with us where like last summer I was like, what? She just didn't want to do it. And I was like, ah, yes. this is, I was like getting frustrated <laughs> with myself. I'm like, wow, why can't I teach my kid how to ride a bike? And uh, yeah, she just, it, it was just her time to do it this year. She just 
decided she was going to do it. And that's been, uh, that's been really fun to, to, to see her take off. And we've, I've jogged beside her a few times while she's riding her bike. And it's, that's been, that's been awesome. I got Addy one of those Strider bikes and I've like for the last probably year been, you know, Hey, do you want to try and ride your bike love? Do you want to do this thing? And she's like, no, I'm not even interested. And then you look at other kids like you, like you're talking about where they're like bombing in the, like uh, in the bike parks and the pump tracks yeah. and like, two years old on these striders and like doing flips and stuff. And I'm like, ah, it's a bad way to start. Totally. Totally. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great. Mate, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time and, uh, and, and joining me and all the best to you and the family, all the best to the coaches and the athletes at Mulder Marathon and fingers crossed, hopefully, uh, hopefully things improve quickly and we get to come and cheer you along here on the, on the side of the Boston Marathon in September. Thanks man. Appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks Dylan. As always, I appreciate the perspective and the reminder that our worth isn't always wrapped up in our athletic goals or accomplishments. We're almost halfway through May and I'm having such a great time bringing these insightful conversations to life as a part of the I'm Curious to Know project. Stay tuned for more each and every day in May. I'm Travis McKenzie and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.